Hello. My name is Rick. Uh, and let me just get something uh, settled right now. I am not speaking in tongues. This is called a Texas accent. Okay? It's the only one I have. Now, Texans and Tennessee are cousins, and so most of you can understand me. But if you're from the coast and you cannot, just find somebody with the gift of interpretation, and they will help you out. Because I can't do anything about how I sound. Hey, I am delighted to be with you. I have been at Fourth before, several times in fact, but it has been a long time. I'm sure you can tell that I have changed. Some of you have changed too. Not a lot we can do about that. I remember when I was in my 20s, I just played basketball all night long. Get up the next day and go. Then I hit my 30s, and I'd play basketball all night long, but I'd get up the next day and I'd be sore. And then I hit my 40s, and I'd wake up in the morning, and I was sore, and I didn't do anything last night. (laughs) And now I'm at that stage of life where I can injure myself sleeping. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. (coughs) I can wake up with a crick in my neck, and I hurt myself going to bed. So what hasn't diminished, (coughs) excuse me, is my love for the Word of God and for the church. And so I'm delighted to be with you to bring a word to you today. You can find Acts chapter 27 in your Bibles. We'll be there in just a moment. I want to start with a strange question. Have you ever been on a sinking boat? Because I have. I was a young boy. My father took me and my brother fishing in East Texas. We got out in the middle of a lake, an old wooden boat, and it took on water, and it sank. And for about 30 minutes, I stayed afloat in a frigid lake around Thanksgiving time, waiting for someone to come and rescue us. That explains why I have, and I admit it, an irrational fear of boats. I have two irrational fears in my life. The other is snakes. I hate snakes. Now, that's not completely true. I only hate three kinds of snakes. I hate big snakes. I hate little snakes, and I hate sticks that look like snakes. (laughs) And you can understand why I get really tense, unlike many of you, when I get on a boat. It would take a great amount of courage for me to remember that and do that again. So what kind of courage would it take to willingly put yourself in a place where something really bad happened in a similar place. See, see, there's a verse in the New Testament that just blows me away. And it's, it's 2 Corinthians 11, verse 25. And here's what Paul says. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. You're telling me you were in a boat that went down And you got on another boat. And it went down. And you got on another boat. He's following Jesus and not for wimps, right? So here's the context of Acts 27. It's in a place called Caesarea, which I had the great privilege of being uh, about three months ago. I actually stood at the place where Paul appealed to go to Caesar. See, he's been in jail for a couple of years. Now, here's the thing. God had told him he was going to go to Rome. And Paul assumed he's going to go as a free man, but he's spent time after time in this prison in Caesarea. 
He cannot get a fair trial. It dawns on him he's never going to get a fair trial. And finally he realizes, maybe God is going to get me there as a prisoner. So Paul appeals to Caesar, knowing that means I'm going to have to get on a boat. So they put him on a boat with some other prisoners and a lot of Romans and some centurions. And they take off. And we know they took off in the fall because Dr. Luke mentions the Day of Atonement. Now, here's the thing about those days. You did not sail in the Mediterranean Sea at the winter time. The water was just too rough. It was too dangerous. So the sailors are thinking, we think we can make it to Rome before winter. But they have great difficulty. They face some strong winds, which, by the way, that raises an interesting question. God wanted Paul in Rome. Why was God making it hard for Paul to get there? Has God ever given you a great dream or a great passion or a great desire? And then it wasn't easy to do the thing God put on your heart you wanted to do? That's a whole nother sermon. But they get to a place called Crete, an island. And they haven't made good time. They've been against strong winds. So Paul says to all the sailors and to the uh, Roman officers, we better winter right here. We better just stay here. I know we lost some time. We better just stay here, spend the winter here. When spring and easier sailing comes, we can go to Rome. They are not about to listen to a chained prisoner's what to do. So they set out against Paul's advice. And for two days, it looks like they've made a good decision. They have good weather. And then Dr. Luke says, man, a hurricane hit us. Uh, not for a couple of hours. I mean for a couple of weeks. They gave up all hope of steering that ship. They did everything you could do. They, they tied the hull together. They let go of the lifeboat. They threw cargo overboard. They're not trying to sail. They're just trying to survive. They are at the complete mercy of this storm. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in Acts 27, verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sell from Crete. I love Paul. He could not help. I told you so. I told you so. You should have taken my advice. And then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now, I urge you to keep up your courage. Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So Paul receives a word from God in this storm. And his application of the revelation was, he said it two times, keep up your courage. So in this series, Church on Fire, I want to talk to you today about what it looks like to have courage on fire. 
And the big idea is simple, that we need courage to grow through what we go through. Because we're going to go through some storms. Jesus never promised a life of fair sailing. The reward for obedience is not a life of convenience. In fact, sometimes it is obedience that makes the life of a disciple even more difficult. Paul has spent two years unjustly and unfairly kept in a prison. For crimes he didn't commit. He's now spent two weeks not able to keep his lunch down being tossed by a storm. And here's the, here's the big idea. That almost all of us have the faith to glorify God when we get where we want to go to. But do you have the courage to honor God while you deal with all the storms and detours along the way? We can praise God when we get where we want to go. But can you honor God in the storm that's keeping you from getting there as soon as you wanted? Paul said, again, when he's in prison in Philippians 1, I expect and hope I'll not fail Christ in anything, but that I will have the courage now, as always, to show the greatness of Christ in my life here on earth, whether I live or die. What Paul is saying is, I, I want to have the courage to grow through what I go through. I don't know how this story is going to end. I don't know if they're going to let me out of prison. I don't know if they're going to send me to an execution chamber. I don't know. My prayer is I'll have courage to honor God no matter how this story ends. Sometimes we go through storms because we have made some bad choices. Sometimes we go through storms because somebody else made bad choices and it affected us. That's why Paul was in the middle of the sea. And sometimes you go through a storm just because the world has fallen and broken and life is hard. We don't get to choose the storms. We get to decide if we will grow through what we go through. It takes courage under fire. So let's read what we can learn about courage. Verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And after he said this. Now remember, we're in the middle of a storm. This boat's going up and down and about to break up. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. And then he broke it and began to eat. Notice, they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. So the first thing you learn about courage, it takes courage to trust that God is present in your present circumstances. See, God is always near, but it doesn't always feel like He is. And when the storm is present, it can feel like God is absent. 
And a lot of us can understand David's word in Psalm 10. Lord, why are you so far away? Why do you hide when there is trouble? I don't believe God hides. I believe it feels like he does. Paul spent two years stuck in a prison. And now he's been over a week being tossed at sea without his last word from God. Do you understand how much courage it took for him in front of a bunch of pagan people to thank his God in the middle of a storm? That the absence of calm didn't hinder him from declaring the presence of God. Like again, David said in Psalm 16, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. It takes courage to see that God is present right now in this present storm when it doesn't feel like he is. And one reason we don't recognize God is because most of the time we didn't see the storm coming. Right? And we're going through something we didn't want to go through, we didn't plan to go through, and that we never saw. We didn't see that miscarriage coming. We didn't see struggles with infertility coming. We didn't see that biopsy coming. We didn't see that long season of our child in the wilderness coming. And we assume that God is not around when things come around that we don't want to go through. Tim Keller, great pastor, recently passed away told a story when he was a young man, he was very much in love with a young girl that he wanted to marry, but she couldn't make up her mind about him. And he prayed and prayed and prayed, God, let her stay in love with me. Let her stay with me. God, let us get married. He said, he even moved closer to where she lived to make it easier for God. <laughs> well, it turns out that she did break up with him. He went on to marry his beloved wife, Kathy, later. But he had an interesting reflection on that experience. He said he was asking God, and God said, son, when a child of mine makes a request, I always give that person what he or she would have asked for if they knew everything I know. See, what the crew needed, it would have never asked for, a shipwreck, and that's what they got. And true to Paul's word, they ran aground and all 276 men on that boat were saved. But let's keep reading. Chapter 28. Once safely on shore, we found out the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. And Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat. I cannot believe I'm reading about boats and snakes on the same day. <laughs> a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. 
And when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expect him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now, again, put yourself in Paul's place. I've been in prison for two years. I've been on a boat for two weeks lurching up and down. I get tossed into a cold sea. I manage to make it to the shore. It is raining and cold. All I'm trying to do is build a fire and a snake bites me on the hand. I would look up to heaven. I would say, seriously. Come on. But the instant caused Paul to have to face another very difficult storm. You see, it takes courage to find your identity in what God says instead of what others say. Have you noticed when you go through a storm, other people are quick to tell you why you are? They're quick to assign reasons why you're getting more than your fair share of bad hops. Because it's easier to give a label than to give a hand. The good news is Paul did not live by the latest opinion Pope. So he gets bit by this snake. And I, the, the, the fangs must have embedded so deeply, it is hanging from his hand. And the people are saying, oh, look, he must be a really bad dude. And Paul looked back and said, haters going to hate, 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 hate. Shake it off. Shake it off. <laughs> and that went on to become a very popular hymn. <laughs> See, what people say about you is so fickle. One minute you're an evil person. The next minute you ought to be worshipped. But what God says is so faithful. But it takes courage. It takes courage to let God define who you are in a culture that every day picks up a phone to see whether or not you're getting liked. In my city, it takes immense courage, especially for younger men who hear the lie every day. Your self-worth depends on your net worth decide no I get my identity from God not by how much I produce it takes great courage in my city for everyone but especially for single people who hear every day the propaganda you cannot possibly live a flourishing life unless you have all the sex you want with wherever you and whoever you want to have it and to believe no God says, your highest intimacy should be with me. And that's who your true self, that's how you will flourish. It takes courage to listen to what God says instead of what everyone else says. It takes courage. I uh, have shared with my church my great passion to see us become a multi-ethnic church. You wouldn't believe us. I live in Tarrant County, right? Fort Worth, Texas. 47% of my county is white. 27% Hispanic. 17% African-American, 6% Asian, and other. There is no single ethnic majority in my county. I want my church to look like my city. I want our church to reach our city. And so I shared with our church our, some of our dreams, and I said, now I'm going to preach some sermons about ethnic 
uh, church and ethnic reality. And I'm telling you, I'm going to say something that are hard to hear, so pray for me. So I had a lot of people come, oh, Preacher Rick, we're praying for you. We're praying that when you preach, no one's going to get mad. I said, don't pray that. Pray I will have the courage to say what is true, whether people get mad or not. Because the goal is not to see how many likes I can get. The goal is to lead my church to be more like Jesus. Paul said this in Galatians 1. I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. But I will tell you, there are few things that are going to require more courage than for you and I to break free of the pool of approval addiction. It takes courage. But you're going to have to do that if you want to become the person God wants you to be. Where God wants you to be. That's the last big idea. It takes courage to be who you should be when you're not where you want to be. You see, we've all been stuck on Malta. Malta is that place you didn't plan on going to. Malta is that experience you never wanted to go through. Malta is that storm that completely surprised you. And you may not be responsible for where you are, but you are responsible for what you do there. So keep reading. One last text. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when they were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. And so life has thrown you a curve. You never saw that divorce coming. You never thought you would spend so many days with a needle stuck in your arm getting more chemo. You never thought your son or your daughter would make some of the choices they made. Here's a good question. When you find yourself in a place you never thought you'd be, you never wanted to be, and you don't want to stay, who can you bless while you're there? Who can you bless when the storm takes you to a place that wasn't on your preferred itinerary? Because divine detours always lead to ministry opportunities. And just because you didn't plan on it doesn't mean it can't fit inside the plan of God. That's why we have the book of Galatians in the first place. Paul said, chapter 4, you remember it was because of an illness I came to you the first time preaching the good news. He wasn't even planning to stop. He got sick. Well, he got sick. 
He preached, a church got started, he wrote a letter, and 2,000 years later, we're still getting blessed by it. Getting where you want to go is not as important as being who you ought to be where you are. Because God doesn't edit our itinerary for our pleasure, but for His purposes. So a number of years ago, I remember I was, uh, I had spoken at an event, and I was eager to get home uh, in time for a gathering with my family that evening. And I got to the airport, we've all had this experience, it says delay, then it says delay, and then it says delay, and then finally it says flight canceled. And they booked me on another flight that was going to get me in very late, well past the event that I was looking forward to going with my family. And I'll be honest, I was pretty frustrated by it. They had to change my seat and put me in a part of the plane in a, in a place where I didn't want to sit. I finally get on the plane uh, and I sit down. I was wearing a suit, which I don't usually wear because that was the event I spoke at. That's the attire that was expected. So I'm wearing a suit. I get a book out. I'm starting to read. A lady comes down and sits next to me and the plane takes off. And she looks over at me and she says, excuse me, are you a lawyer? And I thought, I don't even know you. Why are you insulting me? <laughs> no, I didn't think that. I'm sorry. Cheap joke. No, I said, I'm not a lawyer. I said, I'm a pastor. And as soon as I said that, she started to cry. And so through the tears, she told me her story. That a few weeks earlier, her teenage daughter was riding a four-wheel vehicle that flipped, and she died. And her husband shut down, completely paralyzed by grief. He had gone off to Wyoming to some hunting trip, and she went up there to try to join him and connect, and it ended miserably. And now she's flying home. Her marriage is crumbling. She's lost her daughter. She's not a woman of faith, and she's falling apart. And I realized, I'm exactly on the flight I'm supposed to be on. I'm exactly in the seat I need to sit in. And so for two hours, I told her about a better story. I told her about a God that made her and loves her, and I told her about a Savior that conquered death. And I was able to give her the name of a Christian counselor in her city that she was able to reach out to to get some help. And again, I'll say, I realized I wasn't where I wanted to be, but I was exactly where I needed to be. And it's not because I'm a pastor. I think it's just because I was the closest Christian. Next time, it'll be you. Whenever God sees one of his children that's in grief and broken, he, one of his lost children, God looks around and says, who's my closest saved child I can put in their path? And he may have to change your plans to get you to intersect with the person he needs you to bless. Sometimes wrecks lead to revivals. Sometimes a bad hop leads to someone else getting hope. See, here's what I want you to remember. What you go through 
is not just about you. It takes courage to grow through what we go through. But remember this, what you go through is not just about you. Do you remember what the angel said to Paul? God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. The storms and the shipwrecks and the Maltas become pulpits for those with courage under fire. Because God will never take you where he cannot use you. I want to show you this picture. This picture is of the person that is recorded as the very first casualty of 9-11. His name was Father Michael. Father Michael, Franciscan priest, was a chaplain for New York City Fire Department. He had all the gear, and whenever the bells would go off, he would put on his gear, and he would go to wherever the fire was to, to encourage the firefighters to console or comfort people who suffered grief or loss. And so when the planes flew into the towers and everybody was running away, this man put on the gear and ran toward. He ran toward the place that no one wanted to be because that's where God could use him. And they found this prayer in his wallet. Lord, take me where you want me to go. Let me meet who you want me to meet. Tell me what you want me to say. And keep me out of your way. So what's the boat you don't want to get on? What's the storm you don't want to go through? And what's the Malta you don't want to be at? And the call today is for courage. That you would ask God to give you the courage to be who you need to be where you are and not where you wish you were. So let's do that right now. Let's pray. Father, life is hard. We make our plans and they hardly ever turn out like we thought. And so my prayer, God, is that you would give us courage to be who we ought to be when we're not where we want to be. Help us to see the people that we could bless where we are and not just think about the people where we wish we were. Give us, God, the courage to grow through the storm and to see who we could bless while we're in it. We want to bring glory to Christ in our life. And we know that if we're going to bring glory to Christ, it's more about 
who we are than where we get to. Help us be like Jesus. We pray in his name.